You're listening to the preaching ministry of First Baptist Church in Newton, North Carolina. By God's grace and for His glory, we're striving to be a community of disciples who are growing in trust, growing in love, and growing disciples. We pray you'll be encouraged to deeply love and trust our Savior Jesus Christ through this ministry. We hope you enjoy the sermon. If you will open your Bible with me to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. And I am going to start reading in verse 1, but today we're going to focus on verses 7 through 8. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. After these things... The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, no one born in my house, excuse me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, This man will not be your heir. But one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Here's our text. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. To give you this land to possess it. He said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we have lots of things that overcome this morning. We, we already have just in us minds that are broken. It's one of the hardest things for us to do is to think. Beyond that, we have masks on our faces and, and it's distracting and uncomfortable. Beyond that, we have an enemy who does not want us to understand your word. Our minds are not able to understand your word. They are spiritually appraised. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit would overcome all these things. That you would reveal yourself to us. And that you would not only teach us today and encourage us with the gospel today. But Father, I pray that as, 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 we, as we study this morning, our eyes would be open to how to read the Bible. And Lord, I pray that, that because of today and this study today, our, our future study of the Bible would be even more fruitful. Father, what we want is we want you to preserve us. We want you to encourage us that we might make it all the way to the end. We pray that you would make us like your son Jesus and fix our hope on him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we studied through the book of Genesis, there's been a theme that has shown up over and over and over again, but, but we, we've not really hit on it. I've really been skipping over it until today. Let's think back briefly to where we've been so that 
we can listen for it. And the topic first came up in Genesis chapter 2, but it is a theme that came into sharper focus when we got to Genesis chapter 12. Look at Genesis 12 verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Look down to verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. Look over at chapter 13, verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land which you see I will give to you and to your descendants forever. We see it in our text in verse 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur and the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And we're going to see it over and over in places like Genesis chapter 15 verse 18. Look at that. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, To your descendants I have given this land. And then he marks out very clear boundaries of that land. From the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite, the Kenizzite, the Kadamite, and the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Rephaim, the Amorite, and the Canaanite, the Gergesite, and the Jebusite. We'll see it also in chapter 18. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. This pattern continues throughout the Old Testament. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 11. You shall therefore keep my commandment, which I am commanding you today, so that you may be strong and go in and possess the land into which you're about to cross to possess it, so that you may prolong your days on the land which the Lord your God swore to your fathers to give to them and to their descendants a land flowing with milk and honey. If you, would, if you would begin today reading through the Old Testament with a highlighter in your hand and you would underline every time the word land is used, you would go through several highlighters because this word is used 2,000, over 2,500 times. The word land is the fourth most common noun in the Old Testament. Behind son, God, and king. This is a major theme in the Bible. And if you, don't, if you don't know that this is a big deal, then turn on the news and look at what's happening in Israel and in Palestine. They seem to think this land is a big deal. Now as we think about this, I want us to notice three things that God addresses in this text. First, I want you to see Abram's shady past. Secondly, I want you to see Abram's promised future. And then finally, I want you to see Abram's present predicament. First, Abram's shady past. Look at verse 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land 
to possess it. I want you to notice in verse 7, what, what God is getting to is Abram's future, but notice that he begins by talking about Abram's past. And perhaps these words don't mean much to us, I brought you out of Ur and the Chaldeans, but Abram knows exactly what God is talking about because he knows exactly what he was up to when God called him. In Ur, Abram knew nothing of God, nothing of the Savior. He was without hope and without God in the world. Joshua chapter 24 says that, that when Abram lived there with his father and with his uncle, they were serving other gods. It's very interesting and telling, and God does the same thing to us. Think about, think about in Ephesians chapter 2. Remember that you were at that time. When God begins to talk about Abram's future, he begins by reminding Abram of his past. And I think there are two reasons for that. God wants to put two things on display. And the first is grace. And the second is glory. God is promising Abram wonderful things as we're about to see. But Abram started out worshiping idols in the gutter. God is bringing this up with Abram. He's bringing up his past because he wants to remind Abram that this thing is all about grace. The love of God, the favor of God, the gifts of God are all coming to Abram out of a free grace. And we keep seeing this in the book of Genesis because God keeps bringing it up. And he's bringing it up because the human mind is so warped that we don't understand how warped it is and we think that we can fix the warp. Hear loud and clear this morning. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Abram believed in the Lord, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. A relationship with God, where he becomes your father, and you become his child, is all of grace. It's only available. The only way for you to become a child is for you to stop working to stop performing, to stop trying to fix yourself and trust in Him. Abram believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. We need to stop trying to appease ourselves by, by, by comparing ourselves to other people and just cast ourselves upon the grace of God. I don't deserve to be yours. I, it's all, I am trusting in you to do all of the work. I think about this. Do you ever look at your life and, and just say, how did I get so off track? How did I, how did I start going, how did I get here? Or I, I'm so messed up. This week has been a week of hidden sin being revealed to me. I have been, I have been more aware this week of, of sin that I didn't know about, of, of how, and, and just the sin of selfishness that exists in me, that when I have plans, I really don't like it when my plans get disrupted. This week I've, I've been reminded of how, of laziness in ways that I don't even know was there. I, I'm learning to come to God like the prodigal son. Like the thief on the cross. I look at my sin. I get so discouraged. 
Abram believed God. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Galatians 3 quotes Genesis 15. And then it says, It is not those who fix themselves who are blessed by God, but those who trust Him. Those are the one blessed by God. God loves saving sinners because God loves grace. But in the trophy case of God, right next to grace is glory. Think about it like this. If, if, you hear about, if you hear someone with the last name Kennedy or Roosevelt or Vanderbilt, you're not impressed if they get rich, right? They start out rich. But, but when you hear about the guy who starts out scrubbing toilets and he gets rich, you get inspired. This is, this is what God is doing. The stories, that, that's, those are the stories we love to hear. This is what God is up to. He calls Abram when he is a nobody, going nowhere, and God makes him famous. God makes Abram the father of nations. God makes Abram the root of the tree from which Jesus Christ will be born. He, he is going to be the father of the Jewish nation. And think about this. 4,000 years later, in Newton, North Carolina, there are a group of crazy Gentiles with masks on their face, and we're still talking about Abram. This is, that's glory. Look at verse 7. God says, I am the Lord who did that. And, and, and here's the good news for us. Is that God hasn't changed. God is the same today as he was 4,000 years ago in Genesis chapter 15. And he still loves putting grace on display. And he still loves being famous for glory. This is just great hope. Because it means he'd love to take you and all your mess and make you his. And be your God. And you be his people. And give you an inheritance that is beyond your wildest imagination. The reference point where God begins is Abram's past. But notice he doesn't stay there long in verse 7. God quickly reveals Abram's promised future. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And Abram said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? Verse 8 makes it clear, doesn't it, that we're talking about a promise that is not fulfilled in Genesis 15. It's something that Abram is looking forward to in the future. And, and I want to I camp out here for a second because this is, this is such an important theme of the Bible for us to understand this future promise of land. What's the big deal about this land? Why is the word land the fourth most common noun in the Old Testament? And more importantly for you who are uncomfortable listening to this, why in the world should I care about the land in Genesis chapter 15 when I am living in Newton, North Carolina in 2020? This is a great question. I feel like I'm just beginning to scratch the surface, but I know enough to know that, that land is a very important theme in the Bible. In fact, one prominent theologian has gone so far as to say that land is a central, if not the central theme of biblical faith. So there's way more that we can cover today, but I just want to begin to, to scratch the surface here with us. And it may be helpful when we think about land... When we think about the concept of land that God is communicating, that we think about 
the concept of home. When we talk about home, it's hard to put into words how precious and how important home is. There are, there are good homes and there are bad homes, right? There are homes that, that when people pull into the driveway, they are glad to be home. And then on the other hand, there are homes that when people pull into the driveway and think about opening up the front door, the, the thought of it makes them sick. This feeling of home is hard to describe because it has to do with, with physical space and decorations and furniture and the smell, but it, it goes beyond that. When we talk about Home, we have to think about our family, but, but we know that it's not really that either because sadly all of us have like extended family that we're related to, but they're not really home to us. When we talk about home, it includes our family, but, but it, it's more than that. It's more than drywall and bricks and people living under the same loaf, roof. Home is a familiar place, a sacred place, a a special people where we belong. Where, where, where we enjoy the amazing gift of love. And where we're safe. We, we never say, there's no place like a house. The promise of land is very similar to our idea of home. The land that God is promising means more than just a certain geographically defined piece of real estate. The land that God is talking about is a piece of land, but it, He's promising much more. This land is the place where God's people are going to enjoy three very precious things. It, it might be helpful for you to write these down. In the land, God's people are going to enjoy God's protection. In the land they're going to enjoy God's provision. And they are going to enjoy God's presence. Let me show you this quickly from the Bible. First notice that in the land. God is promising his protection. Joshua chapter 21 verse 43. So the Lord gave Israel all the land. Which he had sworn to give their fathers. And they possessed it and lived in it. And then notice what is special about life in the land. Verse 44. And the Lord gave them rest on every side. According to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And not one of their enemies stood before them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hand. Do you see that? In the land, God is going to give his people rest. And in Joshua 21, what does it mean that he gives his people rest? No fighting. Protection. Safety. Security. God's protection in the land. Secondly, in the land, God's people enjoyed His provision. In other words, in this land, everything they needed was provided for them by God in abundance. Deuteronomy 8. For the Lord your God is bringing you out into a good land, a land of brooks of water, 
of fountains and streams, flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without scarcity, in which you will not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you will dig copper. Then when you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which He has given you. Do you see the point that he's making? In this land, God is going to provide for you. And it explains why later in chapter 11, the land drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning even to the end of the year. God provides everything His people need in this land and more. You think about that. You think about right now in Newton, North Carolina in 2020, how precious these promises really are. If the virus has done nothing for us, the virus has shown us how fragile we are. We have an economy that's booming earlier this year. And in a week, it's standing still. It's weird for me to go to Sam's and to see the shelves empty. Can you see how precious the promises are when God says to his people, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to protect you. Notice one more thing. The land is a place where God's people enjoy God's presence. Look back at Genesis chapter 17, verse 8. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And then notice these precious words. And I will be their God. You see what's special about the land? This land is special because God is going to be there in the land. On this earth, there is nothing more precious than the nearness of God. Numbers 35, 34. You shall not defile the land in which you live, in the midst of which I dwell. For I, the Lord, am dwelling in the midst of the sons of Israel. Can you see why the promise of this land is such a big deal? This is such an incredible gift. This really is. This whole time, all my life, I've thought North Carolina is God's country. No, no. This is God's country. This land that Abram is being promised. In fact, it is regularly called God's land, God's heritage, God's possession, God's inheritance. Listen to this summary. Jeremiah 3.19 Then I, the Lord, said... I would set you among my sons and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of the nations. And I said, you shall call me my father and not turn from following me. Here's what I want you to see. The land is like a good home with a good daddy. All right, Tommy, I'm hearing you, but you still haven't told me what this has to do with me. Tommy, I don't know if you've been watching the news lately, but we're in the middle of a global pandemic. People are worrying about their jobs. They're worrying about their health. And you have us together talking about the biblical theology of land. Are you kidding me? What does this have to do with anything in my life? Well, let me ask you this. What have you been praying for 
It might be helpful. Just, just think about what is it that you regularly pray for? What, what have you been asking God for lately? And my guess is you've been praying for your children. You've been praying for their future. You've been praying for their spouses. You've been praying for their safety. You've been praying for their character. You've been praying for people who are sick. You've been praying for the people who you love that they won't get this virus and that this virus is going away. Do you see what you're praying for? You are praying for God's protection, right? You, you, some of you are praying because you, you, you see that your paycheck seems less certain by the day and you've been found yourself praying about money. Do you see? You're praying for God's provision. And, and some of you have been praying for your spiritual health, for, that you would grow in grace. You've been praying for people who you love that are not believers and you're praying that God would, would become their God. You see what you're, you're praying for God's presence. So, so if you could hear the, the prayers of the people in this room, you would hear things like this, God help us. God fight for us. God provide for us. Please don't leave us. Don't leave me. Be with me. This passage has everything to do with what is going on in Newton, North Carolina in 2020 because God is promising Abram the very things that you are begging him for. Okay? Tommy, I see that. But you still haven't answered the question, what does this have to do with me? Those are promises made to Abram. How can I get those promises for me? Do I need to go to Israel? And the answer is no. You need to come to Christ. So, here, here in Genesis, talking about land. But as the Bible unfolds, we learn that the land is really a warm-up. That the point is Jesus. Let me illustrate it like this. I want you to imagine a guy who's grown up his whole life. Maybe he grew up poor. His whole life, he's wanted a Corvette. He's been looking at them. He's got posters of them on his wall. He's been hoping for one. And then on, on the strategic Father's Day, 2020, he sits down to eat his favorite meal with his family gathered around his table. And on his plate, there's a little box with a bow on it. And he opens up that box. And inside of that little box, there's a key with a Corvette emblem on it. Now, let me tell you what doesn't happen. That guy doesn't say, this is what I've always wanted. A Corvette key. I love Corvette keys. I'm going to hang it on the wall. In fact, I can't wait to hang it on the wall. And he runs into his bedroom and he hangs it on the wall next to his Corvette posters. No, what does he do? He runs to the driveway where there is waiting for him a Corvette with a big red bow on the big red Corvette. Here's what I want you to see. The land is the key. Jesus Christ is the vet. God does this over and over and over in the Bible. He gives us little hints, little shadows. He, he creates a whole sacrificial system. But it's not about lambs and goats, is it? It's about Jesus. 
He creates a whole office for prophets, but it's not about the prophets. It's about Jesus. He creates, he creates, he, he governs his, his nation with kings, but all of those kings are just keys. They're pointing to Jesus. He creates a whole priesthood. He lifts up a serpent in the wilderness. He has his people construct a whole temple, but it's not about the temple. All of those things are just pointing his people to Jesus. Think about it. The land promised protection from enemies and a rest. Again, Joshua 21, the Lord gave them rest on every side. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hand. Now keep that passage in mind and then go read your New Testament. Passages like Luke chapter 1. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Colossians chapter 2, he canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us and has taken them out of the way, having nailed it to the cross when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities and because he has fought for us and because he has won and because Jesus Christ now stands with his foot on the neck of our enemies Jesus Christ can stand and say come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest the promise of the protection of God that's provided in the land is just a key to point you to the promise of protection in Jesus Christ. The land promised God's provision, but everything God provided in the land of Israel was just a foretaste of what he is providing for us in Jesus. In John chapter 6, verse 31, the people said, our fathers ate man in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Do you remember how Jesus replied? Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Who has, he who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Jesus says in John 10, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. How about this promise? Philippians chapter 4 verse 19. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. In a piece of land? No, what does he say? My God will provide all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The land promises the presence of God. Isn't that promise fulfilled in Jesus? We just read earlier, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us. (laughs) And accomplished redemption for his people. The word became flesh and it did what? It dwelt among us. And what is the promise of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 28 verse 20? And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You want to talk about the presence of God. God has not just promised his people that he will come and live with us. If you belong to Jesus Christ, then you've been given the Holy Spirit. And that means Jesus himself is living in you. And just like the land, I want to remind you that Jesus is a gift. Deuteronomy chapter 6 again. The Lord your God is bringing you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to you great and splendid cities. Look at what he says. Which you did not build. And houses full of all good things, which you did not fill. And cisterns, which you did not dig. 
vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. In the land, God has given you things you didn't work for. You didn't earn them. Does that sound familiar? That's the gospel. This is, you cannot earn Christ. The good life that you seek is found in Jesus Christ. And you better not bring your money. And you better not bring your works or your performance or your morals or your religion in order to buy it. You have to receive Jesus Christ as an undeserved gift of grace. Look back at Genesis chapter 15 now. In verse 7. See if this doesn't sound more familiar now. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. I hope somebody's saying, wait a minute. (laughs) That's not Abram's story. That's my story. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and he has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. The story of every Christian is that God brought us out of sin into the good land of Jesus and soon that promise will once again be physical when we stand and when we live and when we rule on a redeemed earth in the very presence of the Redeemer who died and rose again to give it to us. You spent your whole life seeking happiness. You spent your whole life seeking security. You spent your whole life trying to work your way to a place where you're making enough money and you got enough in the bank and you got enough in your 401k and you got enough assets. Well, finally, you'll be secure. You've been longing your whole life to belong. Here's what I want you to see. It is available for you. But it is only available for you in Jesus. Everything else is an infomercial. It's a sham. Before we finish, we have to understand one more thing. I want you to notice finally Abram's, and we can just say clearly, our present predicament. I wonder if maybe somebody's not hearing this and saying, this sounds really good. But with everything in me, I, am, I believe I'm trusting in Jesus. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to come to Him with my performance. I'm, I realize that I'm a sinner. I am trusting Him. I am regularly asking Him for His Holy Spirit. I wake up in the morning and I say, Lord, I want You to lead me today. I want to trust You today. I want to honor You today. I, I, with everything in me, with everything I understand about the Bible, I am trusting in Jesus and I am seeking to follow Jesus by grace. But Tommy, my life is hard. What about this good land? Tell me if I'm being honest with you. Frankly, my life is disappointing. Anybody there? It's hard reading all this stuff like this in the Bible. It sounds really good, but it kind of messes me up because I'm wondering, am I doing something wrong? Am I confused? I have come there and have life and have it abundantly. I'm still waiting on the abundant truck to come. I just want you to notice those questions are not taking God by surprise. Look at verse 8. 
And he said, O oh Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? God is promising Abram really good things, as we've seen in verses 7 and 8. But here's my question. Is Abram holding those things in his hand? The answer is no. But I'm loving this vision. And I'm hearing your words. But I don't see anything. And I'm wondering, is, there, is my mind just playing tricks on me, Lord? Or is this really you talking? How do I know that these promises are real? I want to try to be as clear and simple as I can. If you are trusting in Jesus Christ and your life is still really hard, this may, this may sound like bad news, but I hope it's really, really encouraging news. That's normal. Take, take a look at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, very into your Bible, then turn left, the big book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, look at verse 8. By faith, Abram, when he was called out of Ur in the Chaldeans, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise. As in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Look at verse 13. All these, speaking of Adam... I mean, excuse me, of of Abel and Abram and Enoch and Sarah. All these died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them and welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Abram never received the land he was promised. At least not yet. Abram got to experience little tastes of this promised land, but it was never his. But listen to me, the story is not over yet. Verse 16 says, He has prepared a city for them. So let's be clear. Even for those who have Jesus... And the Holy Spirit. Life is still hard. The world is still broken. Your relationships are still broken. You are still broken. Even with the Holy Spirit of God. We now see only in a mirror dimly. We're worshiping in mass for crying out loud. This thing's not over yet. I want to show you one of the most encouraging, discouraging verses in all the Bible. Look at this in Romans chapter 8. 
And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Even with the Spirit we groan. The days are coming when we're not going to groan anymore. Days are coming when this world will be fixed. The day is coming when I will be fixed. The day is coming, believer, when you will be fixed. The day is coming when the land will belong to Abram. The day is coming, believer, when the promises made to Abram will be yours because the Bible says if you are in Christ, then you are Abram's descendants, heirs according to the promise. And on that day, you won't be holding the key. You'll be beholding Christ face to face. You will be living and ruling and thriving in the real land, face to face, in the presence, under the blessing of Jesus Christ. We will feast in the house of Zion. We will sing with our hearts restored. And on that day, we're going to say, He has done great things. And we will feast together. And weep no more. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would take this text and plant it. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us grace to be honest. Honest about our past. Honest about our sin. Honest about the situation that we are in. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to connect. That in real life, as we, as we are tempted to worry. As we are tempted to pout. As we are tempted to get angry and disappointed and bitter. As we are tempted to give up. Father, I pray you give us grace to believe the promises that you've made. The promise that in Christ you are going to protect us. You are going to provide for us. You are going to be with us now and forever. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the First Baptist Newton Podcast. If you want to learn more, check out our website at newtonfbc.org. We'll see you next time.